0: Hello, and welcome to episode number five of the Future Podcast. My name is Jeremy Bularis, and every single week, I sit down with a guest, and we talk about technology trends and where the future might take us. In this episode, I sit with Brian Lovett, and we talk about Tesla, automation, AR and VR, and where they'll take us in the future. All right, so I am here with Brian Lovett, and today we're gonna be talking about some VR, AR kind of things. Uh, So thank you so much for joining me, man.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate being here.
0: Cool. Um, all right. So let's dive a bit into it. You just mentioned that you were looking at. You have an HTC Vive right now, and you're looking at the index.
1: Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. so with with virtual reality, it's interesting because as a kid, you know, early on they had sort of these these big arcade machines that you'd play like some mech game or something like that, and mm-hmm. it, it always felt like this is the direction gaming needs to go. Mm-hmm. It felt natural, so. When I first picked up a, an HTC Vive, it was actually my neighbor's, and I remember putting it on, and just that that sense of immersion right away was it was so great. I mean, it was you could feel like this is the way gaming should have always been to begin with, mm-hmm. and um, you could tell like there's some technologies that when you when you test them out, you just know like this is the future, this is the direction things are headed, and that's kind of how I felt with with putting that on.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, so what, so when we're talking about the index, like what makes you want to go towards that versus like what you have right now?
1: Yeah, I think it's just the higher pixel density. Obviously like the knuckle controllers are, are far more, um, versatile. You, you actually have individual finger tracking, whereas the, the vibe is just sort of these kind of clumsy of these giant mallet fists. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think the the overall technology of the, the index is just, it's compelling. I don't, I wouldn't consider it a next generation headset. I think it's Mm -hmm. just kind of evolutionary instead of revolutionary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the world of AR is making some progress as well, like Microsoft with their HoloLens um, and Magic Leap with their headset. Uh, most of their applications are tailored towards business applications, which makes complete sense since the price tag won't be justifiable to uh, most consumers if we're looking to adopt a huge consumer base, um, at least for now until they build economies of scale and that sort of thing. So when we're talking about AR um, and and VR both making progress in their own ways, do you think that they both have a space to coexist? with each other? Or do you think they'll find kind of this point where they meet each other?
1: I think there's always going to be sort of a need for both. Mm-hmm. I don't think they completely converge in all cases. So you've mm-hmm. got, you know, virtual reality, you can get into this, this really immersive kind of imaginary environment. Mm-hmm. Whereas obviously with augmented reality, you're taking the existing environment and you're, you're augmenting it with other details and information and data mm-hmm. overlaid right on top of it. But I, I definitely think there's room in this space for both. And there's a need for
0: both. Absolutely, I totally agree. And I think um, when it comes to gaming, I, I think VR will always take up uh, like it doesn't matter how advanced AR gets, there'll be games in AR, but I, I think VR is always gonna take that huge, as going to own most of the gaming market um, and when it comes to the two. Um, yeah, total submersion. And I, and I think VR has a huge advantage for education as well. Um, to change the way that people educate or like just consume content in general. Um, the AR aspect of things, implementing real life is going to be huge for um, advertising as well because we can tailor uh, people's like, view or everything they do in the world and implement um, it, you know, like ads into what they're doing. But I think it's very interesting since we'll be collecting so much data on these users, like what they see, what, we, what they do, what they hear and all that. And um, some headsets might eventually implement something like I've talked previously on the podcast with AJ from Neurosity. Um, they're developing a headset that essentially just understand or studies your brain waves and uh, has productivity applications right now. Like they, their platform's open for third-party developers so they can develop on top of it. But their platform essentially allows you to, or right now they have productivity applications that are uh, built on top of the brain data so they can help. Like, for example, one of the uh, examples they have is they have a Spotify um, app connected to it. So they can, if you're not as productive, they'll play certain music that you're known to be more productive in. Instead of you going over to Spotify, switching music, you know, that that sort of thing. But I I think it's a super powerful technology because if that goes and gets implemented into AR headsets, then um, not only when people look at ads that are, you know, superimposed onto their reality, If we can not only know all the data about them, what they're looking at specifically using iris tracking, but also understand how they feel, that's just like next level.
1: Massive. Well, Mm -hmm. it's interesting that you bring up the advertising angle because Mm -hmm. during my day job, I work in digital advertising and obviously there's a whole bunch of data regulations and and things like that emerging because we know so much about people, but Mm -hmm. um, this kind of does take it to the next level. So I think there's going to be a lot of Kind of careful monitoring and regulation of the space as it matures. Mm-hmm. But you can see, like, as a consumer, it's pretty interesting because if you're walking down the street mm-hmm. and your favorite store is Best Buy, I don't know whose favorite store would be Best Buy, but at this point, but mm-hmm. let's say it is, you can you can pop up like, here's a sale on these items that you've checked out before. Like, you can yeah. actually make kind of a compelling use case for the user engagement with that store and that retailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think there's. With that data, you can do a whole bunch of really interesting things with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walking by houses, you can see which houses are for sale, what the prices are if you're in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, some really compelling use cases.
0: But if we can also communicate that or like have a flow of data, so if a company, well, either through partnerships or if a company has both um, products in the AR and VR side of things, then if that data can flow between them, or for example, like you know Google owns YouTube, so they can use Google search data to be able to... Uh, you know, target people on YouTube search um, or like YouTube pre-roll using Google search. Um, yeah, so I think that if we can follow the the data from AR, so everything people are doing in real life, they're wearing this headset uh, throughout their, you know, everyday lives, and then we go back to VR, um, if somebody is like in a game or whatever, and we can implement these kind of like spots that are not for necessarily ads, but like product placement oh, within their placement, games yeah. and that sort of thing, That could be very interesting, based on things that they're doing during their actual lives. You
1: know. No, totally. I I think real-time product placement will be really interesting. Of Mm -hmm. course, again, it comes back to kind of that data regulation and like Mm -hmm. how that actually plays out in the space.
0: You know, I think that's interesting. What I think data is like people don't want their their privacy. They don't want to feel like their privacy is being invaded. But at the same time, I think people are becoming a lot more lenient with how they share their data. I mean, people can get off these platforms, but they keep sharing their data with it voluntarily. Um, And yeah, I, I think they'll just be a lot more lenient with it, especially if they don't feel that they're being compromised. If the data is used by, it's not like people just like looking through their stuff, you know, it's used wisely.
1: Well, and to be honest, you know, for the most part, nobody knows anything specifically about you. They know about, like, this browser is tied to this cookie, and this cookie has gone to these websites. So, mm-hmm. we generally, think you're male or female or this age range. or like mm-hmm. It's a whole bunch of assumptions based on, you know, some very high-level data. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that it it would be a worse experience to go back to an Internet where... You just had. I, I remember back in the day, there was you know MySpace, and you just had these smiley face ads on there, and it was mm-hmm. horrible. Yeah, I'd much rather targeted ads to something I'm at least interested in. Absolutely, and yeah. on top of that, that's the only reason the internet is free to begin with. Mm-hmm. I like, mean, otherwise yeah. you're gonna see paywalls everywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, uh, early days at Facebook, they obviously found similar things, but with the Cambridge Analytica uh, whole thing going down, it kind of brought a lot of talks about some of the findings they had in those early days, people were complaining about, yeah, their data's being used in this way. But I think, you know, the whole P- PR around it kind of snowballed things and people were like, oh, our data's being used this way. I should feel this certain way about it. But um, I think uh, they mentioned some of their early findings at Facebook. that were like, you know, people prefer ads that are relevant to them a lot more yeah. than irrelevant ads. Yeah, hands mm. down.
1: Well, mm. and I think that for the most part, it, a lot of this kind of gets blown out of proportion in the media. You have instances like Cambridge Analytica, which absolutely need to be have a spotlight placed on them and mm-hmm. have some sort of regulation and like how the data can be used by certain parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think most people don't mind that their data is used for for some level of ad targeting because mm-hmm. it makes for a better user experience overall.
0: Absolutely. Um, so when it, like uh, I don't know how close of a um, how close you've looked into these things or you're, you're keeping up with them. But um, Mark, um, yeah, like they mentioned, they want to bring in other regulation to like, they, they didn't they want a third party to regulate kind of what's going on within their company, whether they were just saying that for their congressional hearing or not, I don't know. But if they were to bring in a third party for regulation to help making uh, certain decisions when it comes to um, how data is, is used. Um, would you rather it be them as a private company, the government, or some kind of third party that may not be biased in any way?
1: Yeah, that's tricky because we have we have we have all these different regulations around the world. Like there's mm-hmm. GDPR, which is basically the mm-hmm. um, EU's version of data privacy, mm-hmm. where it gives everybody the power to go in and opt out of data collection when you visit a, an individual website. Mm-hmm. California just passed their own thing, it's called CCPA, and it's it's along the same lines where they try to give power to California residents to make those decisions, um, but it's really fragmented, and I think that the United States will probably end up adopting some sort of national policy as well, but it's... Mm-hmm. Again, it's going to be different than what Europe does. It's going to be different than what California does maybe. And so mm-hmm. you get this fragmented ecosystem and it makes it really difficult for ad tech companies or tech companies in general mm-hmm. to keep up with that. Yeah. Um, I would like to think that we'd be able to self-regulate, but obviously that kind of hasn't panned out with, with companies like Facebook and Google. Mm-hmm. And so I also don't think that the government is the best for this mm-hmm. because... Regulators and lawmakers typically have no idea what actually happens behind the scenes. They don't mm-hmm. understand the technology. They don't understand
0: yeah, cookie
1: tracking, ad targeting, any of that, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah, and I mean, if you look at some of these
1: seventy-eight-year-old people, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, some of these like these hearings before Congress is just ridiculous. Is just ridiculous because these guys just don't understand exactly what they're dealing with, but they're acting like they're the the big guys in the room. But I mean, like, I mean, come on, like. <laughs>
1: I remember one senator that um, that asked Mark Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. "Well, you don't charge for Facebook, so how do you make money?" And then Mark Zuckerberg yeah. is back and he's like, "We sell ads." Yeah, <laughs> like so nonchalant. But it's it's that level of uh, they don't understand the space that much that they don't even mm-hmm. understand that the ads on sites are what actually make them free. And yeah. So by crushing the ad tech industry, you mm-hmm. would end up effectively crushing the internet.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's true. Um, yeah I think uh, we need to find so I think with like government in general but we can go in a whole discussion about this I think the whole government in general should have uh, I mean to increase efficiencies um, but also fairness we should have a combination of uh, when we further develop um, like general AI, uh, AI like we should be able to compute a lot of decisions and then have some non-biased humans that have no interest in, in, in gaining anything from this um, to be able to uh, have some final judgments or inputs. But I think some of these companies that are going to help regulate, whether it could be a government if they were following that kind of model or a separate en- like separate kind of entity that is uh, able to regulate companies on um, on privacy and, and data regulations, um, but that is mostly computed and has people that are just non-biased um, on that board or part of it.
1: Well, at least have industry experts weighing in on it. And and that's a missing piece of it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think on the data privacy, an independent third party would make the most sense. But then, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. I don't know how you get to that point. I I think everybody wants to regulate everything at this point. So it's it's difficult.
0: Yeah, Um, I think navigating in a world also like, yes, regulation does matter and it does have its place. But at the same time, I think if we need to, if we want to thrive and really push boundaries in some areas, constraints, regulations, and rules are kind of the enemy of that as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, you see that with any emerging technology, right, like Mm -hmm. uh, artificial intelligence. I think if you step in too fast, then you end up crushing that. We've seen that with self-driving cars. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, there needs to be some sort of threshold for safety, but at the same time, you also need quite a bit of leeway in order to develop the technology in the first place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to VR, beyond like games what other kind of applications do you think are going to come in um or that you're starting to see come into to to play for vr or that you imagine would be a major benefit to be in a virtual world
1: there's a couple things that stand out i think um virtual education makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense you can get in front of kind of the the world class instructors on any given topic Mm -hmm. and feel immersed like you're there i also think in the workplace it makes a lot of sense um growing even more and more in the tech industry, for example, Mm -hmm. we have a lot of remote workers. I work remotely with people in San Francisco every day. Mm -hmm. So if you were able to have this immersive environment where you can sort of sit around a conference room, look over at the person next to you and speak to them in a very natural way, Mm -hmm. I think it takes a a step beyond what we get with video conferencing and things like that. So those are kind of two big areas I see blowing up in the relatively near term.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Um, I think... Uh, tutoring or or like training people and, and that sort of thing is going to be huge. If if it gets to a point where it's a lot more natural, like you're saying, and right. also, um, yeah, education in general. I th- I think the whole educational system. Is, I mean, it's it's everybody knows it's it's broken. Things are going to emerge.
1: Absolutely.
0: I mean, from the point where people enter uh, preschool to high school, should be a comp- It should be. Man, like people shouldn't be shoved in a class of 30 kids where the only thing they have in common is their age But they all learn differently. They all have different strengths. They all have different passions um, And some yeah. don't know what they're passionate about which I think is it is something that um, should be figured out a lot earlier on But I mean then we get to the point of college and universities and a lot of people might think this is very um, You know some people are they they're romantic about the idea, you know um, Right, I, I've never been shy to be kind of bash this, this that part of it Um but I think the amount of, of debt that is just being held by student is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we're up to $1.5, $1.6 um, trillion dollars in the United States alone, and these are kids that are 17 years old entering college, university, and they're making uh, at least $100,000 plus debt decisions in the States, and they have no idea what the hell they're getting themselves into. Um, and, and, and some of them don't even know what they're passionate about, and, and the let's say they 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 know what they're passionate about everything's figured out but then it gets to the point where they get out of college i mean things have changed and it's just not practical experience and uh, i mean i i don't think most people should even go to college unless they're going into some sort of medicine or law um i I think it's just an excuse not to do and actually get practical experience in. i
1: 100 percent agree i a thousand percent agree i actually i actually have a lot of opinions on this yeah Kids, actually, I actually have an 8-year-old and a 6-year-old, and they're both in Montessori school for mm-hmm. this very reason. Yeah. Because in Montessori school, you're given this sort of freedom to explore your world around you mm-hmm. and have this framework of learning where if you learn visually, you learn visually. If you yeah. learn by doing, like, you, you touch things, you interact with things, you, you mm-hmm. figure out what you're passionate about, and you're given that freedom to do that. Yeah. I think so many kids in our existing school system, they just have the love of learning kind of crushed out of them. Mm-hmm. and it's really sad to see that I remember mm-hmm. I, I lived in the suburbs for a while thankfully I'm down in the city now but all these kids around me they would uh, I would ask hey how's school how do you like it and they mm-hmm. just they hated it Yeah. my kids when I go to pick them up at the end of the day I have to like drag them out of the classroom because yeah. they love it so much mm-hmm. and it's that lifelong love of learning that we really have to instill in people mm-hmm. and that's the only way you figure out what you're passionate about Mm-hmm. And if you do need to further your education at a university, great, but mm-hmm. I think for most people, some sort of trade school or on-the-job training yeah. or just self-learning would go a long way.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I understand that some people don't have the... I think if you're going to self-learn, you do have to have some sort of structure that you give yourself and discipline. So if if you're not able to do that, and I think that's where we're kind of in the middle ground where there's not necessarily that structure. Like you can go and get a bunch of courses online or you can go find all the information on the internet. But if you don't have that structure, um, then you might not necessarily be able to give yourself kind of that goal to work towards. Um, But back to to people like hating school, if you're hating something that much and it's not part of the mission that you're on, I I think you should seriously question it. Um, Sometimes you got to do things you don't like, but I mean, if it's part of the greater picture, then that's one thing. But um, yeah, I mean, like, if you're if you hate education because you like because school made you hate it then then there's a problem because lifelong learning is just so important um and the other thing is um what was i gonna say yeah so yeah you, you gotta you gotta love it and it's yeah
1: and the other big part of it i think is um at least for me i i don't know what the jobs of the future are gonna be exactly I don't know what jobs my kids are gonna have mm-hmm. so it's I think a lot of parents, they go, oh, you need to learn how to code. You need to learn how to do this or Mm -hmm. that. And the fact of the matter is, I think even programming jobs will go away, possibly even by the time my kids are are grown, because you have artificial intelligence and and all these other systems coming into play that are really disrupting those fields. Mm -hmm. And so what my kids and what kids in general need to be is Mm -hmm. adaptable, flexible, and have a love of learning lifelong. And then they'll be okay. And Mm -hmm. also I think we downplay the love of things like art and music too much that really i always used to be you know math science 100 percent all the way Mm -hmm. but i think without liberal arts and and things like that we lose a lot of uh what makes us human
0: yeah i agree um yeah i think a a lot of what is driven kind of the structure and kept it this way is um the fact that we are putting the past on a pedestal and kind of demonizing the future um yeah before yeah i mean like, and and the previous generations would um kind of, you know, forces down the structure that they had. So I think the biggest mistake we can make is try to force, the next generations to kind of follow into the same things. You know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think anytime you you try to have that much foresight, it mm-hmm. ends up uh, backfiring. Absolutely. And I think you know. Unfortunately, we're still we're still teaching our kids like it's the industrial revolution, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that um, w- when I got into programming fairly fairly early on, one of the things I wanted to do because I hated school so much, uh, I wanted to create. Um, I, I got into like media as well. Um, well, kind of no, kind of a shock that I'm in media as well. But um, yeah, so well, I got into. Uh, I wanted to make a little course that was interactive, and it would basically teach you basic things about how to make uh, videos and like storytelling, and oh, cool. and but I wanted the course to be um, the the you'd enter a bit of information about yourself through a little quiz at the start, um, just short but to get an idea of what the person's like, and then as yeah. you go through the course, they would it would evaluate h- what how you learn best, and then it would tailor the the medium that it would show it to you whether it was written word or. Things that you'd interact with, with or um, like video or photos and that sort of thing, so that you'd learn the content more effectively, which I think is which is huge. Yeah,
1: uh, it's so important. I, it, we can't we can't treat every single human like we're identical. Mm-hmm. I mean, our brains are structured differently. The way we learn is different, mm-hmm. and uh, treating it as anything other than such is just a recipe for disaster. And that's why we have so many kids that get just completely left behind in school.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, no. Yeah, I agree. I think it's huge. Uh I think we need to make huge steps in that area, but also um I, I think it's pretty clear that universities are a business and
1: yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so a hundred percent big business. And I think they could have value. Mm-hmm. Uh, again if you're going into, you know, medical, legal, mm-hmm. um some and even those job. fields
0: are gonna change a lot too, so
1: Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well I think We'll have a big need for for people like nurses and teachers. Mm -hmm. I I think doctors will actually have less and less of a need for because diagnosing
0: and... Diagnosis and even surgeries, um, I mean, there's so much physician-induced death that I think that there should be people overlooking things and performing some surgeries, but I I think for the most part, a lot of things can be a lot more accurate and safe um, by being automated.
1: Well, and I think that's where, you know, a lot of, even augmented reality comes into play there. Mm-hmm. I think with the surgeries and things like that, mm-hmm. um, I can cut out a lot of the, the mistakes and accidents that happen mm-hmm. if you have this overlay of, oh, okay, no, I'm supposed to operate on the left side of their body, not the right. Like, yeah. You have these human errors that end up happening, that mm-hmm. I think technology can help. Absolutely.
0: Um, and, I, and I mean, humans are in like, let's say you're a surgeon, you're, you're usually working very long hours and that can also hinder your ability to make decisions on the spot or, you know, um, but back to the, like, um, high school and everything that happens before that, I think also, let's say a lot, they got a lot of those things right still, which they're they're not, but, um, I think there's a lot of inefficiencies. Uh, so like teachers, a lot of them will complain that they're not making a lot of money, which they're not. But they could be making a lot more um, by after school teaching a lot of students online. They could be teaching millions of people the same thing they're teaching in the classrooms to to millions of people on on, like doing online courses or uh, building a community around what they're teaching. So um, I think it'll be more of that model. Less people will be going to, maybe there'll be areas where people can still get that social um, interaction with people. There'll be some sort of facility. But I think for the most part, uh, people, teachers will become content creators, uh, people that create the curriculums and, and content creators as well. And they'll be produced for students, but then they'll have them, they'll have the, they'll work with the content creators to um, create in different forms, whether that's, you know, copywritten, um, video, photos, whatever. And then they'll deliver to the audiences, which will be many, many millions of people instead of just a small classroom. They'll be able to make a lot more money and also deliver more effectively to their students
1: yeah i mean think about it it's almost uh we we end up making our teachers and our professors into uh, athletes Mm -hmm. almost the way we we pay them and reward them they're
0: glorified babysitters right now
1: yeah totally they kind of do this a little bit in like south korea right Mm -hmm. so they have they have teachers there that make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year Mm -hmm. because they're the best Mm -hmm. and so i think if we can take that and then use technology to kind of you know, augment, and, and like you said, you can get somebody that has a million people in their class if mm-hmm. it's virtualized. Yeah. Then I think um, you've got a really compelling argument for becoming a teacher and being great at it. Mm-hmm. And that elevates everybody.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, th- the field changing is pretty apparent. So I think there's some people that aren't going to pursue uh, that sort of path for that reason. But I mean, if, um, if the economics became a bit more attractive, um and they were actually passionate about teaching people, I think that could be a huge avenue and a lot more people willing to go that route as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, to give you an example, my wife was actually, she had an English degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, she became a middle school teacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she, ta- she taught for a while, and the, the thing was, like, all of the regulation on what you had to teach and basically teaching to the test mm-hmm. became too much. It kind of just crushed her passion for it yep. pretty quickly so she became a programmer mm-hmm. and now she teaches programming. Awesome. Um, but they're paid much more like programmers, right? So Absolutely. It's not, yeah, you're not a starving school teacher. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. But she's, she's thought about getting into um, actually becoming a creator, a YouTube creator, and starting you know online videos with that. And mm-hmm. I think that's the direction things are going to head.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, I, th- I think just the whole educational thing is going to be a huge opportunity as well. A lot of the... I mean, a lot of it is publicly funded when it comes to elementary and, and high school, in North America, at least, like what yeah. uh, I'm talking about. Um, so I think that if a company... See, I, I don't know if the government would want to change to something else if, um, in terms of how much it would cost them, would be less. Like, let's say a company was willing to develop a lot of this stuff. If it cost them a lot less money, would they be willing to move to it? That's something I'm I'm not sure of.
1: It's... it's uh... Um, people are people are hesitant to change. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the big problems we have. Mm-hmm. You've got this sort of with any product that's launched, you have this sort of bell curve of you've got the very early adopters that just, I've got to have the newest tech like right away. And, mm-hmm. and I think i probably fit into that mold and yeah. uh, you might as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got this kind of the, the meaty middle that, oh, okay, they, they hear about it, it's pretty cool, they're interested in it and they sort of want to experience it. Mm -hmm. And then you have the late adopters, which is generally almost everybody else. And so with education, again, we're kind of back in the the industrial revolution period right now. We're Mm -hmm. still training our kids to work in factories. And so even to get caught up to where we're at now would be a huge improvement, but it's not enough. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it takes to get people to to realize that and to make that big uh, leap that we need.
0: I think uh it could be important well i th- I think there's two sets of people that can really work on this. One, we can have like companies that are venture funded um to kind of make leaps and bounds in being able to develop more of a program that, that can be adapted. but I think for the I think we can dramatically reduce the costs that they're currently paying and have a much more effect efficient and effective system um but this so that's one route, but I think also. Um, Building monopolies like companies that like Google that have become a monopoly and they have a lot of cash on hand And they can use that money to develop things that they don't necessarily need to be profitable for a long time if ever Um, So I I think that's really cool I think companies that aren't necessarily even in that space but have cash on hand and want to invest in the future I think that's that should be one form of philanthropy that uh, some people should focus at. Like some billionaires will give their money away to, like for example, like Bill Gates invests in a lot of um, developing curves, cures for diseases. Um, right. And some will will focus on that, which is also very important. I think we should diversify in the problems that we're trying to tackle in terms of philanthropy. But I think that also companies that are making a lot of money should, over the long haul, doesn't need to be all at once, give a bunch of money, but you know, invest right. a little bit in teams that are working on things that are important uh, issues just in, in everywhere in the world, including uh, like education.
1: Well, that's a good point. I think, you know, that's why Google spun off Alphabet and they mm-hmm. kind of have all their, their moonshot ideas. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we're going to see a lot more of that over time. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Gates is a fantastic example of that. He's pouring money into so many different areas mm-hmm. that he thinks are going to change the future. Yep. Um, and a lot of them are really practical problems, too, you know, like clean water and malaria and, and things like that. So, um hopefully we see more pouring into education
0: absolutely um so you to move a bit away from that um you have some interest in 3d printing
1: yeah definitely i i think 3d printing is it's kind of one of those interesting things where it's it's in its infancy but i can see how this really changes the world in the future Mm -hmm. So I, the way I look at it right now, obviously it's it's really rudimentary. You're just printing with, you know, plastic filaments and mm-hmm. things like that. Some you can do some cool things like you know, like SpaceX, what they're doing where they're actually three D printing rocket parts. Yeah. That used to take, you know, thousands of hours of machining and welding to construct, mm-hmm. and now you can do it in, you know, maybe ten hours, twenty hours. Mm-hmm. So that's disruptive to manufacturing. It also you can you can start to localize manufacturing.
0: Absolutely, that's the other thing I was going to tell you. I was going to ask you about. Uh, like, do you think that, um, you know, t- for example, Tesla is something you're keeping an eye on. They've manufactured yeah. a lot of, well, they've kept a lot of production in the states, uh, for the for the most part for quite a while because they want. Well, they've been developing a lot of new things, and they want to keep a uh, tight like be able to see what they're doing, um, but also, um, just having a lot more control over their production process because it's so close to them. Do you think that we'll have a lot more production in America and and have like American companies have like their production in their same country just because they'll be able to reduce the costs and um, really uh, innovate in terms of their production process because a lot of it is automated?
1: I think so, so once you you cut out all the transportation costs, a lot of the Mm -hmm. times people are producing things over in China just because sending it back and forth mm-hmm. uh, just doesn't make financial sense. Plus, yeah. it's obviously bad for the planet. Yeah. But um, if you can localize all the manufacturing and you can also reduce costs tremendously as far as uh, labor hours and things like that, then I, I do think it becomes more along those lines. I, the interesting thing for me is is thinking even farther down the line and um, doing one-off manufacturing. Mm. Uh, Tesla's kind of close to that on the cars. You go on the website, you order a car, Mm-hmm. You configure it the way you want and then they produce it and send it to you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's the way everything's going to end up going and that's great because then we don't have so much waste and overhead and expense. Mm-hmm. So I mean think about clothing for example, if you were able to have um, a 3D garment printer in your home for example, mm-hmm. then perhaps you go online and you purchase a, a mm-hmm. fabric or a clothing pattern mm-hmm. from somebody like Gucci or whoever. Yeah, yeah. And then it off at your house right and it's fit exactly to you because you use 3d scanning technology and everything's tailored and fits you perfectly
0: yeah yeah which is another thing like uh, a lot of people were like um you know if we're gonna be buying everything on the internet like we're not gonna be buying clothes because we can't try them but if everything's you know if we solve that problem through having everything tailored to you then yeah that's not an issue yeah that's super interesting but also that's that's a
1: reality too like mm -hmm. fits
0: into that yeah yeah, yeah that's huge Yeah, just to see how, like, things fit before you even, like, print anything. Um, So, and we're kind of seeing uh, also with the coronavirus, like, the impacts on, like, China and how that has effects on uh, just American companies because a lot of their production is is over there. Do you think that it'll help keep um, and and have a stronger um, economy in the States by having less ties with companies outside?
1: I mean, I think I think we need to start thinking of the world globally instead mm-hmm. of locally. Yeah. I think that's a big problem with humans is we tend to think of we're these siloed off people. as we're we're Americans, we're Chinese, we're but mm-hmm. you have to start thinking globally as we're mm-hmm. just one population. Otherwise, yeah. I think we get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all the trade wars and everything are, are a pretty big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, trade should be freer. Obviously, I think that the days of of America becoming this manufacturing powerhouse, at mm-hmm. least in the traditional sense, are, are long gone. And I think it's kind of silly to kind of
0: want it to be think that and go
1: back way. Back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do think some of these disruptive technologies can at least change the, the supply line and where things are built and how they're manufactured and get mm-hmm. things into people's hands quicker. Yeah. It's it's interesting because then you think, okay, if we were able to 3D print, like now they're 3D printing houses, for example, and small buildings.
0: Mm-hmm
1: starting to experiment with 3D printing, things like cars, bikes. At some point, though, what you end up with is like an atomic replicator, essentially, mm-hmm. where instead of manipulating filaments, where you're, you're moving pieces of plastic or metal or whatever to a specific place, yep. you're moving individual atoms to a specific place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you can create food or you can create like all of the things for human necessity, right? Mm-hmm. And at that point, um, do you really even need money or to buy things Mm -hmm. if the average person is able to just kind of create something out of nothing seemingly? Yeah,
0: Yeah, I think that's, um, and uh, some people have brought uh, this up before, but I think if we're going to be automating, automating a lot of things, most people will have a much they will work a lot less. They'll have, uh, I think like a universal income. Um, I think that's kind of inevitable. Um, And I think pe- most people have more time to focus on things that matter a bit more to them. So yep. if it's not necessarily tied into economics or they're uh, or trying to build something um, like an economic machine or a business or something, um, what kind of things do you think people will focus on a lot more?
1: I think, you know, arts and humanities and, and mm-hmm. just sort of... If you give people enough time, I, I think a lot of people think, oh, if humans were just given universal basic income they're just going to become lazy and do yeah. nothing mm-hmm. and i think sure yeah i'm probably going to do that for a month yeah, yeah. right mm-hmm. but then you're like what
0: the heck's next and then
1: and then you're going to get bored and you're mm-hmm. going to get creative mm-hmm. and you're going to say okay what can i create mm-hmm. um, and you're going to build projects and everybody's going to be different some people are going to be art some musicians some Mm-hmm. building things with their hands but I, I think that it opens up the creativity of the human mind mm-hmm. to explore different areas and i think it's almost i, I think we get to like a, a renaissance period again mm-hmm.
0: so uh do you think that we'll be focused more on critical issues um like uh fixing some or disease and uh working on the future of humanity like going to other planets and that sort of thing
1: I definitely think, yeah, I, I think interplanetary travel is is kind of a given. I think mm-hmm. tailored medicine is an interesting kind of future technology where if you can, you know, sequence the genome and then you create targeted therapies for individual things. I, mm-hmm. I think if we had more resources towards that, yep. more time and more people, um, mm-hmm. we could start combating some of that earlier. Mm. Yeah, no, I, de- I definitely. I hate to use the word utopia, but I think it, it at least becomes a, a more enjoyable place to live possibly
0: yeah no I agree interesting um, uh, I think we're going to wrap this up soon is there anything else you want to kind of talk into
1: um, I think that one one question I, I pose a, a few people that I know is alright let's say we're, we're able to 3D print uh, meat for example mm-hmm. if you're a vegetarian mm-hmm. are you then okay eating 3D printed meat hmm and I've gotten a mixture of answers on that.
0: Yeah, um, I think. Well, uh, why are they not eating meat though? Is it for our environmental reasons, or is it more for you know? I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it comes down to the individual reason, right? Mm-hmm. Some, some religious reasons or mm-hmm. personal reasons. Some, it's yeah. A lot of it's like animal cruelty or environmental, and so uh, I don't
0: know. How would some you, of the, when the you s- when you say three uh, D print uh, meat? Do you mean like it comes from some sort of animal, or it's like from scratch, like?
1: Yeah, just assembly of proteins, oh, basically. In that yeah. case, I
0: think a lot more people would be all right with it that are currently cutting meat.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. And also better for the environment, for sure.
1: For sure. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with that right
0: now. Cool. Anyways, we'll wrap this up. Where can people find you and what you're working on?
1: Yeah, uh, follow me on, on Twitter. I'm at uh, B Love Reviews. And then you can also find me on YouTube, again, at B Love Reviews. I probably should drop the reviews part because. <laughs> I don't do that many <laughs> reviews these days. Yeah. I really spend my time talking about future technologies and things like this.
0: Cool. Anyways, thanks, man, for being on. I'll Once we stop recording, I'll stay on for a couple of minutes or so. But thank you so much for being on.
1: I really appreciate it, Jeremy.
0: And as always, I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you want to find the latest episode, you can always find it on jeremybulleries.com or you can give me a follow on Spotify as well. If you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic, you can send me a tweet at J-E-R-E-M-Y-B-O-U-L-E-R-I-C-E
1: or an email at jeremy at newcrowd.co.